0: Hello, my name is Barbara, and this is Neuroscience, Amateur Hour. Welcome back, you wonderful, wonderful people. Thank you so much for tuning back in. This is one of my favorite parts of the week, learning about some cool stuff and sharing it with you. So today, I want to talk about shrooms, mushrooms, magic mushrooms, psilocybin, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, a little bit of Alice, a little bit of Boomers, Buttons, Mushies, Pizza Toppings, shrooms. I was having a conversation with a couple of friends, and I realized I have a lot of prejudices against certain drugs. Thank you, Dare, my classical American upbringing, and some whack family history. But what that means is that I don't know a lot about the uses, potencies, side effects, or long-term effects of certain drugs. My personal perception of mushrooms is pretty negative, but I hope to challenge myself today to learn more, to understand their therapeutic uses, and their potentials as treatments for mental health disorders, and then form a more educated opinion and go off into the world. I just- I just hit my plant. I'm sorry. And I really appreciate that you guys are here for the ride. So let's get into it. What are magic mushrooms? They are a recreational drug, which can be eaten on its own, mixed with foods, pickled, brewed into a tea, mixed with cannabis or tobacco and smoked, or taken as a liquid with the psychoactive ingredient. The psychoactive ingredient in question is psilocybin which um, was isolated in 1958 by my main man, Dr. Albert Hoffman, who incidentally also discovered lysergic acid diethylamide, or as it's more commonly known, LSD. The man really dedicated his life to hallucinogenic substances. I'll do another episode about LSD a little bit later on, but I think it's really funny to know that Hoffman ingested a tiny amount of LSD through his fingertips which, oh my God, wear gloves in lab, that's bio 101. And he promptly got really high and he was like, wow, that's, that's really weird. I don't know why that happened. So three days later, he purposefully ingested 250 micrograms of LSD and started feeling the effects on his bike ride home, leading LSD enthusiasts from then on and today to celebrate his first intentional trip as Bicycle Day. Hoffman was a huge fan of hallucinogens and called them medicine for the soul, which is the energy that I will be bringing into the rest of this episode. So let's talk a little bit about what people feel on mushrooms. So as I said before, they are most often eaten and absorbed through the stomach lining. Most of the time, this is the slowest method of absorbing a substance. I mean, think about injecting something or smoking or snorting. The route from there to the brain is much shorter than if you were eating something waiting for it to be absorbed in your stomach lining or processed somewhere in your gastrointestinal tract and then pumped through your blood until it reaches your brain. Effects peak about one to two hours after consumption, although I've also read that you know they can start about 20 minutes after you eat it, and they last about six hours. So if you're planning on, on having a trip, I would portion out like half a day or something. And like all drugs, effects can be unpredictable, and they vary from person to person, depending on your size, your weight, your tolerance, your mental health history, the alignment of the stars, whether Mercury is in retrograde, etc., etc. So psilocybin has a variety of psychological effects which constitute a trip. These include intensified feelings and sensory experiences. You might feel like the walls are melting, or the plants are talking to you, You might feel like time is passing too slowly or too quickly. Your heart rate, blood pressure, and body temperature may increase and you lose your appetite and your mouth starts drying out. Another really cool side effect is the mixing of senses or synesthesia, which is actually also um, a condition that some people suffer from. In short, you can see sounds or hear colors or smell names, which I've always wondered what my name smells like. Uh, Many people report having had some sort of spiritual experience or a union with some sort of higher power, but fundamentally, a good trip is generally characterized by feelings of relaxation and detachment from a sense of self and from your environment. But the effects of psilocybin are based on your mental health and your surroundings. All too often, people report bad trips, sensations of excessive sweating, panic, paranoia, and even psychosis, which means to lose touch with reality, to to see, hear, or believe things that aren't real. So let's dive deeper. What's the mechanism of action of psilocybin? So upon consumption, psilocybin is transported to the liver, where a phosphate group is removed, so it becomes the active metabolite psilocin. I really hope I'm saying that right. Importantly, uh, psilocin can cross the blood-brain barrier and get to the brain. Psilocin is a tryptamine and acts on serotonergic receptors. So specifically, it acts as an agonist or an activator of serotonin 5-HT2A receptors, which are especially prominent in the prefrontal cortex, which is like right around the front of your brain a brain region that's responsible for planning, personality development, attention, impulsive control, perspective memory, and a bunch of other aspects of cognitive control. And we know this because mice that have had this 5-HT2A receptor knocked out, classical hallucinogens don't do anything to them. They are are sad, boring mice who just probably ate some fun mushrooms. Uh, For a long time, it was thought that by binding to these 5-HT2A receptors and and to others such as the 5-HT1A, HT1D, and ht 2 say 2C, <laughs> 2 say 2 um, although these are thought to play you know lesser effects, uh, it was, it's been classically thought that magic mushrooms increase cortical activity. However, given medical, legal, and societal concerns, we haven't had much research in this area since the 1960s. Psilocybin is a Schedule I substance under the Controlled Substances Act in the United States, which means that the government has decided that mushrooms have no accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. Other Schedule I drugs include LSD, heroin, marijuana, ecstasy, and peyote, just to name a few. A really weird fact is that cocaine is actually a Schedule II drug, which means that the government has decided that it may have some medical use and less of a potential for abuse than, like, weed. Uh, I have some questions about whether these classifications are accurate, given that weed is literally used as a medication by some people, and it's legal in certain states, and as I'll get into later, psilocybin and LSD— And other hallucinogens can also have some pretty substantive substantive treatment uses. Honestly, it sounds like we need to reschedule some drugs, but that's a conversation for another time. Given their classification, obtaining magic mushrooms for research purposes is complex, and there are so many loopholes to jump through. Everyone that works in the lab will probably need to get screened, and you need additional safety measures for storage, like a safe or something. And a long story short... All of these uh, loopholes means that there simply isn't a lot of research in this area. But I was able to find a study by Carhartt-Harris et al. that had some pretty unexpected results. So researchers demonstrated that psilocybin significantly decreased, not increased, brain blood flow and venous oxygenation, which are, are markers of brain activity, in a manner that correlated with its subjective effects or how strongly you felt the effects. In addition, taking psilocybin significantly decreased the functional connectivity between two brain regions, the medial prefrontal cortex and the posterior cingulate cortex, brain regions we know to be responsible for cognitive control. So why is this? We thought that this drug would increase cortical activity, not decrease it. One idea is that the stimulation of these 5-HT2A serotonergic receptors increases cell inhibition in some way, which could account for the overall deactivation that's occurring here, but there could also be another explanation. Honestly, we simply don't know. It is noteworthy to mention that the regions that showed the most consistent deactivation after psilocybin use are also those that have disproportionately high activity under normal conditions. For example, metabolism in the posterior cingulate cortex is 20% higher than most other brain regions. Yet psilocybin decreased its blood flow by up to 20% in some subjects. These brain regions have also been postulated to be important in forming our understanding of consciousness and other high level constructs such as self or ego, which explains why significant deactivation after mushroom use in these brain regions has such a profound effect on consciousness, our understanding of ourselves, why people feel like like it's a spiritual experience, why they feel like they are dissociating from themselves, perhaps. Also, this is super, super cool. So this finding, this deactivation of the prefrontal cortex, is consistent with a theory, uh, Carl Fristen's uh, free energy principle which proposes that the mind or the brain works to constrain its experience of the world. All that basically means is that the parts of our brain that regulate cognitive control limit the number of ways that we can experience something. For example, if you see a water bottle on a table, you are limited in, in how you can like, sense it. It's a water bottle. It's blue. It's standing still on a table. Uh, This theory, this free energy principle, states that we are limited in the number of uh, states that we can experience in order to maintain a steady state, to, like, retain homeostasis and remain functional in our daily lives. So if your brain self-restricts and you deactivate the brain regions that are actively doing that, you might experience things in new ways. You might no longer be confined to a certain number of states that you can experience. Going back to the water bottle example, you might, you know, the water bottle might change colors or start melting or start talking to you or doing something else. There's, there, there's fewer limits. But isn't that insane? Mushrooms may unlock new ways of experiencing the world around us. And I am fangirling over this because I think there's a gap between our understanding of consciousness and the biology that we can see in our experiments. And this is one of those really, really beautiful theories and findings that's kind of, it seems to unify these pretty disparate fields of study. I don't know. I just, I, I love it. I I think it's so cool. (laughs) But moving forward, uh, one of the fascinating things about mushrooms is that they have huge potential for therapy, for mental health and psychiatric disorders. One of those is Depression. So, depression has been characterized by some as an overstable state in which cognition is rigidly pessimistic. Trait pessimism has been linked to a deficiency of 5-HT2A, those, you guessed it, serotonergic receptor stimulation in the medial prefrontal cortex. Uh, Some recent studies have shown that psilocybin can increase personal sense of well-being and openness And depression scores in terminally ill cancer patients significantly decreased after treatment. Crazy. Johns Hopkins uh, conducted a study in 2018 and then I think followed up in 2020 in a small group of adults with major depression and reported that after two doses of psilocybin and supportive psychotherapy, patients reported rapid and huge reductions in depressive symptoms. These results were four times larger than what they had seen in clinical trials with traditional antidepressants, which sometimes don't e- don't work at all. And given that traditional antidepressants are unreliable, or may be unreliable, and can take weeks to take effect, psilocybin may be a really viable treatment option for patients with depression. So just uh, last year, November 8th of last year, a pharmaceutical company called Compass Pathways, Reported positive results from the largest clinical trial to date of psilocybin. So, the phase 2B trials enrolled 233 patients and evaluated a single dose of psilocybin in conjunction with psychological support from specifically trained therapists for treatment resistant depression. Uh, effectively, they took patients for whom uh, traditional antidepressants or traditional psychotherapy didn't work. And they were able to show, and Phase 2B means that they're, like, well on their way to getting, like, some sort of medication approved by the FDA. But they were able to show that, you know, it does. It works for depression. Uh, However, the results did raise some big concerns about safety. Uh, Three participants in the highest dose group, so they were taking 25 milligrams of psilocybin, uh, displayed suicidal behavior. And some others in the lower-dose group also uh, reported suicidal ideation, and those people were taking 10 milligrams. Uh, Given that suicide is the most serious consequence of depression, any treatment that that could potentially make that symptom worse needs to be evaluated and studied with great care. Beyond the potential benefits for mental health, many people report their mushroom-induced trips as positive experiences. They may have had a spiritual experience, or felt closer to friends, or learned more about themselves. Overall, trips appear to be very, very meaningful to the user. But like anything mind-altering, there may be consequences as well. The first thing to consider is that anyone can have a bad trip. I read that most bad experiences have to do with expectations. If you go into a trip expecting bad things to happen, or if you have serious worries or anxieties you're more likely to experience panic or paranoia while under the influence. Another major concern with many drugs is the possibility of addiction. We've all heard about people on opioids, cocaine, heroin, or some other drug whose addictions have taken everything that they love. Psilocybin is not considered uh, physically addictive and normally does not trigger compulsive use. In fact, it's been proposed as a treatment for addiction. It could actually have anti-addictive properties. But mushrooms can be psychologically addictive, which is a little bit more of a complex issue. The difference between physical and psychological addiction is that during physical addiction, the body physically craves the substance. For example, if a user with active alcoholism gets the shakes after not drinking for a little while. Psychological addiction is more like having a conditioned response to a certain drug. Let's go back to that alcohol example. It's like... uh. If you need, and I mean like need, a glass of wine to feel relaxed after work, or if you start getting cranky, if, if you can't a- get access to the drug that you want to. Mushroom users can get addicted to the feeling of taking shrooms, the dissociation from self, or even the high that they get. In addition, people who abuse other drugs, such as you know ecstasy or cocaine or anything, may also abuse hallucinogens, and there may be some sort of tolerance buildup. This is especially true if the drugs act on the same serotonergic receptors. Over time, people may need to take a larger and larger dose to achieve the same result, which, which can be dangerous because the drug is fairly unpredictable. If you or anyone you know is struggling with addiction or substance abuse, please reach out to your health care provider or the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration free confidential hotline, which will be posted in the show notes. A larger concern is that the use of hallucinogens, such as magic mushrooms, may aggravate or trigger mental health disorders. There have been some reports that if someone is at risk for schizophrenia, which is a condition defined by hallucinations, trouble thinking, trouble motivating oneself, and delusions, which is very scary, (laughs) abusing psychedelic drugs may trigger the onset of the condition. The paper I found for this finding was from 1998. So uh, this thing is like 23 years old, so I am sure that, you know, if there aren't more updated findings, at the very least, the research is in progress. I also found a case study published in 2020, like the end of 2020, about a 20-year-old man who arrived in the emergency room with a thunderclap headache, which simply means like a rapid onset headache, after ingesting an unknown quantity of mushrooms four hours earlier. He was found to have a subarachnoid hemorrhage, a brain bleed, the kind of which is normally associated with amphetamine abuse. It was the first instance of these subarachnoid hemorrhages ever being linked to psilocybin products, and it defined a really interesting new side effect and potential area of research for cases of mushroom abuse. There's also been some studies about psilocybin-induced headaches or migraines, but Honestly, mushrooms have also been proposed as a treatment for cluster headaches, so I honestly think it comes down to the fact that we don't know enough at the moment. Finally, there is something to be said about the fact that people do harm themselves and others during trips, especially bad ones. There's some, there have been some studies linking users taking high doses to medical emergencies and psychological distress. Uh, Some people may end up self-harming, hurting others, or at times even taking their own lie. In summary, mushrooms are unpredictable and fascinating. I kind of skipped over their history and their uses in spiritual ceremonies, but they can be traced as far back as like 9,000 BC, with some experts claiming that cave drawings in North Africa and Europe may may allude to magic mushroom use, so... But uh, like many uh, mind-altering substances, there are some causes for concerns for individual safety, especially for people with pre-existing mental health conditions that could be aggravated by drug use. But it would be incredibly remiss to ignore the profound potential therapeutic effects of psilocybin for everything from addiction to treatment-resistant depression to cluster headaches. I can only hope that uh, perhaps reclassification and decriminalization may improve access to mushrooms for researchers so we can finally figure out what the heck they're doing in our brains. But that is a bite-sized overview of the neuroscience of magic mushrooms. I hope that you enjoyed the episode and you learned something new. I have cited all my relevant sources and papers in the show notes, and you should keep an eye out on Instagram for some cool figures that I think are pertinent. Please, please rate, review, and subscribe – And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries, or complaints, please email me at neuroscienceamateurhour at gmail.com or DM me at neuroscienceamateurhour on Instagram. This podcast is available on pretty much any platform I can think of, so please recommend it to your friends and loved ones. Also, if you have something you really want to learn about, please contact me and you'll probably see an episode about it soon. Happy researching and I hope to see you again.